Hey, hey everybody. everybody. Welcome back to another episode. <laughs> it was drop and, day, dugout. And if you're uh, if you're sitting and you're you're watching this in video world, you're going to see that we have two guests today. Uh, we saw some information come across our desk about uh, some interesting things that 908 is doing. Um, so rather than try to give some information ourselves out, uh, we reached out to them and they were kind enough to take some time to come on and, and talk to us about some of the things they've got going on. Uh, you know what? I'm going to ask because Doug's on the left. I'm going to ask him to go first. Tell us who you are. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Doug Huffmaster. Um, I'm here with 908 Devices. Been here for about three years. I'm one of the senior field training specialists. But uh, my background really, uh, I can't get away from Seaburn or back in the day it was NBC when it first started. So <clears throat> I joined the Army in, uh, a long time ago and I spent some time in the 82nd Airborne Division, 1st Ranger Battalion. Was always, always, always a chemical guy my whole life. Uh, so during the first Gulf War, uh, I spent some time uh, there in the Gulf and did a little bit of uh, seaburn type operation stuff. And then my ranger buddy says, "Hey, uh, you're never going to go be a sergeant major in the army, so you need to get out of the army and go be a cop in Vegas." I'm like, "Okay." So I go there. I get hired out of 125 people, 113. So I was even lucky to get hired. <coughs> So I did my regular patrol stuff and did my problem-solving stuff to be a detective and went to the gang the bureau. After that, um, of course, 9-11 happened. Started to put together a Homeland Security team, which is criminal having that team here in Vegas called Armour. And so I spent my uh, career there, and that's what I did most of my life. Uh, and so that's my background. So that's how I got to 908, uh, and uh, I'm lucky to be here teaching. And I've been teaching the 908 for about the last, like I said, three years. I love it. Dave, what about you? <laughs> I didn't get the memo that the only two career options were either sergeant major at the army or cop in Vegas. So I, I took a different route. Um, I spent, uh, my name is Dave Godin. I'm a senior director of applications at 908 Devices. Um, before that, I spent five years in the U.S. Army as well, although I did not overlap with Doug as an army chemical officer. Got to do amazing things as part of that job. Ran a forensics wow. lab in Iraq and just and, and learned a lot and saw a lot of the value of technology in the hands of responders. So I left the military, got a degree in forensics, and I've been linked up with 908 devices pretty much ever since getting tech into the hands at the farthest forward point. To those, so that we can make good tactical decisions downrange. That's my kind of yeah. goal in life. You know, it's it's funny. We talked from different people in different areas, and they all everybody seems to have like their own uh, things that they did that were just like everyday occurrences yeah. for them in their field. So, with both of you having that military background, probably a totally different monitoring mission than what we do on a regular basis. What are some of the things that you guys? monitored for and looked for in the military. Hey, Doug, would you like to take this one? Sure, sure. So going back to uh, U.S. Army, right, and the first Gulf War, uh, back in the day, uh, we had uh, uh, the Iraqis would fire the scud status that we thought were chemical payloads. And uh, one of the things that we did, we used an IMS device called the M8A1 chemical agent alarm, where we put an array of those devices out in front of us with uh, WD-1 wire, really fancy, right, running back to a squawk box. <clears throat> so when it would alarm, uh, we would actually go to Mach 4, put on our JS-less suit, if you will, our masks, uh, and then they would yell, Doug, go out there and do the 256 kit. <laughs> oh, no. So that's what I did. Now, going back to IMS, we all know IMS uh, technology, and um, the diesel uh, trucks that would drive by, the exhaust, 
would make this thing alarm anyway. So we did a lot of, whether it was a scud or whether it was somebody driving a vehicle with exhaust by uh, going to Mach 4 during that. So those are, and we were monitoring, our whole point was, Kim Warfare agent, be able to put on those suits prior to it getting downrange to us. And it was all based on a calculation from the wind speed and direction uh, where that array was at. So That's great. Well, I know you, you like you guys are no, I know you guys have always been on the forefront of like doing the like the whole WMD, you know, and pharmaceuticals and, you know, uh, oh, man, what am I? Uh, toxic industrial chemicals, et cetera. All those things that could be used in a nefarious way. I should have my top hat on when I say <laughs> that, you know, like but like what what are you guys doing now? Because the, the paperwork that came across our desk is, is definitely scratching the itch. But like, what are you guys doing to kind of expand on that? Right. And I, and I think that's exactly what you referenced. We're always trying to stay a little bit ahead. It's hard to stay too right. far ahead of, of clandestine and nefarious actors, but we're always trying to make sure that there are solutions for the things that keep us up at night. Right. And so part of that was, as you said, creating this tool that could do threats that a lot of other things couldn't. Being able to do pharmaceutical based agents such as fentanyl at a toxicologically relevant level. Um, and I think last year, or not too far before that, we came on your show. And we we're talking about the beacon or, or yeah. the arrow module. Uh, and that was the ability to expand our, our monitoring to be able to detect weaponized particulate debris, essentially, right? Aerosolized particulate weapons or threats. And that was pretty groundbreaking for the time. Uh, we yeah. didn't really have a lot of particulate monitors out there, certainly not something that could identify and perhaps tell you what those particulates were. Um, and so we've been building off of that, essentially, in the last uh, since we last spoke. And we've now launched this capability of taking that particulate monitor. And the MX908 is inherently a handheld detector, right? It's a person, they're holding it, they're walking into that threat area, they're doing downrange operations, and the detector is telling them what is present and keeping them safe. But as we got into these new threat spaces, uh, we really started butting up against this need to be able to do so uh, in an unmanned capacity, whether that's robots or whether it is, you know, a UAV, or in the case of the beacon, which we'll talk about today, is being able to do this area monitoring task that Tug uh, talked about being able to do with essentially telegraph wires, right? And bringing that into the, the modern operating technology environment where we can start doing perimeter monitoring and area monitoring and large scale event monitoring for these more modern threats in a more modern way. Well, I'm guessing since you're expanding to the area ray area uh for lack of better words that the the area had some pretty good feedback what were some of the things you saw within the community that people were coming back and being like hey this worked great in this situation yeah absolutely so when it comes to area monitoring there's there's really a couple of things that we wanted to do and we wanted to make sure that we were covering threats and expanding on an operator's capability things that we couldn't currently do with our current tech Right. So these particularly these uh, aerosolized particulate threats, such as pharmaceutical based agents or fourth generation Novachuk agents, things of that nature. 
right? When we're talking about chemical warfare agents or a lot of nefarious chemicals, we're we're pretty inherently dispersing them typically as like a weaponized air, liquid aerosol droplet, right? But for things right. that are highly volatile, there's really no difference between yeah. an aerosolized liquid droplet and a vapor. But for these more modern threats that are less volatile, there's a huge difference and a lot of our tech drops off. Uh, and so really that's the space that we were focusing on with both the aero module, as I discussed, and then subsequently the beacon. Um, so it provides the coverage for these modern threats. And the state of the matter matters, right? This hazmat check. Yeah. And so that aero, we want to know. no, absolutely. Right. The aero itself, the aerosol being able to get the answer, uh, because there's not very much tech even available that can do aerosolized threats. And so it brings a whole new ball game to something we couldn't do because we've been doing liquid solid vapor for a long, long time. And we've been trying to figure out what the next asymmetric threat is. We know that uh, uh, these have been used in 18, uh, like the fourth generation nerve has been used in 18 and 20 in Albany and Salisbury. And the next thing is, is how will that be deployed against us? It's super simple. They're doing it in Europe. Why can't they do it here? And so that's always the first responder, what we're looking at, like trying to find out what the next threat is. And that's why we go to all these conferences and spend all this time and spend all this money, right? Yeah, trying to right. make sure that we're protecting everybody we can. Everyone's being safe. As well as the first responder. Yeah. So the MX-908 had the capability of detecting and identifying these threats with the arrow module. But to your point, um, that's fantastic, but it was still it was still a handheld operator, right? And so we were starting to get into these scenarios where we were supporting these large scale events, and we either had to station someone near the detector on the perimeter, or we had to constantly go out and change the batteries, or or or. So we really needed a way of allowing it to operate less as a person held detector and more as a fixed site monitor. And that really involved creating a way of viewing it and operating the tech remotely. It involved creating a uh, communications package, which as we know from other fixed site monitoring applications is always a challenge, um, and <laughs> always. And then also just increasing that battery time, right? Because oftentimes when we put these out, we won't get the opportunity to wade through the crowds of people enjoying the event to interact with attack. You really needed to be able to place it out and have it run reliably for the duration of our event without human interaction. So those are the things that we needed to start planning and creating and expanding from the core capabilities of the MX-908 with the Arrow and uh, provide through our accessory that we're gonna talk about today, which is the Beacon. Well, so you put some wheels on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's got uh, everything but, sadly. <laughs> But yes, it is. Uh, so essentially, uh, to your point, it is a accessory for the MX-908. So any MX-908 can be put into this Contico box, essentially, or this 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 uh, cradle. Uh, it does have wheels uh, to help you employ it. Also handles, if that's your thing. As a sort of an integrated lock, so you don't have to provide your own chain, and you can set it up around the perimeter, perhaps, of your fixed site or monitoring critical infrastructure for your event, like the event stage itself or the finish mm -hmm. line is typically where these things are in place. Uh, and then, yeah, it provides the battery power and the connectivity and the communications platform to monitor that remotely. So you don't have to have just one of your team constantly looking over and seeing if they're about to die. Now, with, the, <laughs> with, with all of that, how, like how, what would you say battery life is if I were to sit and deploy this, what are we looking at? Right. So 
in our early development, I had the opportunity to work with a bunch of teams who were doing this task. Because in my military career, as you referenced, while we did have a similar need for perimeter security, and I did do a fair amount of civilian clandestine monitoring, um, I did it more in the capacity of like a plain clothes. So I hadn't have as much experience um, setting up one of these points and then monitoring it remotely. So I got to, I had a great opportunity. A number of agencies were kind enough to let me shadow and learn from them. And one of the things that I universally encountered was that 2 a.m. setup time, right? Where you have to go and, and monitor and you have to clear all the event space, the things that Doug did in his capacity. And then you have to set up all of your comms package. And then at some point later, you know, you would employ your devices and turn them on. So that was one of the first things that I didn't want to do because I didn't want to uh, have to do that either when I'm out operating with, with our responders. So we built in a huge amount of standby time into the device. So the device uh, or the beacon accessory provides about 16 hours of idle standby time and eight hours of, of full operational, although you can cannibalize that standby time for a longer event. So you can either in uh, deploy it way in advance and just activate it remotely to initiate during your event, or you can employ it or deploy it closer to the event and, and get more operational time out of it. I, I think that's amazing. You know, like even eight hours, like there's not many events that go that long that you can't even walk there to say, all right, let me plug this thing in or swap out the boxes or whatever the thing is. So like even going back to the, the arrow, Right, which which I thought was honestly uh, a huge step forward because it went from, you know, um, put the stuff in there, get a sample and be done. This it changed to continuous now, which is an enormous upgrade. W going back to that, what was the the um, the consensus from the crowd? W what were people talking about with that? Well, I think the reality was, was they could identify Kim Warfare agents and pharmaceutical based agents real time whether it was vapor or aerosol. Uh, and that's a big deal, right? Because, you know, if we go back, if we go back to, you know, being able to identify all that Ocean IT 10120 stuff that we have to have for a compliance space entry, right? Say, that's, that's good stuff, uh, but it's not giving us answers that when we have something like that. And going back to by safety and stabilization, property preservation, all those ICS uh, priorities, right? Uh, that's what made it a big deal and a game changer, to be honest with you especially knowing what we know. They always call them emerging threats, but they've been around the whole time we've been playing this game, even since I was in the first Gulf War. So I think that's the biggest thing about it. So we chemical warfare agents, great. I think we all pretty much have a good, solid handle on like, okay, what, what is a chemical warfare agent, how it's going to be used? <clears throat> Can you give a little detail into like pharmaceutical agents? Like why would a drug be something that I'm concerned of? Like how do I get a pill to hurt a whole bunch of people? Fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're doing any sort of risk assessment, when we're, we're planning to mitigate threats, we have to handle sort of the full spectrum of it. Things that are very catastrophic, but unlikely, which is most of our traditional chemical warfare agents. Things that are perhaps less catastrophic, but far more available, like our ticks and tims, right? They're out there. People can get their hands on them. People can weaponize them. So, you know, they're in that middle ground. But then there are also things that are, are, that are very available, but also very lethal. And unfortunately, certainly in the domestic U.S., fentanyl falls into that category, right? Yeah. It is ubiquitous. It is available. You can amass a large amount of it, um, either in powder or pill form, and then you can disperse it with nefarious intent, right? It is very lethal, 
in terms of its ability to cause harm through inhalation, right? I know we went through our response tactics and we, you know, we had this big, you know, big phase where we were very concerned about the cutaneous ha- hazards yeah. of fentanyl. We we've, weren't. Since as a response community, <laughs> right, of course. As a response community, we've, we've, we've educated and changed our TTPs and we, and we know that really the, the dangers obviously are ingestion, but also inhalation, getting it in through your mucous membranes, things of that nature. So you can certainly disperse fentanyl with weaponized intent. Um, into these crowds or into a, a facility, and it's 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 again it's available and it's quite lethal, um, and two it's things. just one of those things that we have to think about. Sir, Doug, two, two things with that, right? Uh, there's too much of it coming to the United States; we can't ingest all of it. So some at some point, sometime, some bad guy is going to figure out he's going to use it, right? So it's got to get yeah. used. If you have it, use it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't have a person who can deliver sarin to my house via the dark web, but like I can get fentanyl if I wish to, right? And I think that's really it. So it, it falls into that bin of very available and still very toxic. And so it's, it's got a side weaponization potential. And until, you know, as you said, the arrow module, we didn't really have a way of detecting it as it's been dispersed. How does the aerosol modular, how does it actually work? I know you described it on the last show, but as long as we're, we're talking about it and piggybacking off the beacon, you know, it, it, it sucks the fentanyl and let's, we'll keep going down the fentanyl road. What happens once it enters the magic box? Yeah. Right. So it's multi-phase monitoring. So like any um, vapor-based monitor, it's going to be pulling in air. Ours pulls in a lot, like five liters per minute. So we're pulling in a large amount of air. And during that time, we're monitoring for our traditional vapor threats, some ticks, TIMS, chemical warfare agents. But we collect all of the aerosolized particulate threats on a metal mesh. And then every 60 seconds or so, we take, uh, we just heat that mesh turn all of those particulate threats that we've captured into a vapor and then pull them into the vapor analysis stream of our detector. And that's how it's actually really elegant and simple uh, to turn a vapor detector into that particulate monitor. Uh, and that's how we solve that particular problem. So it took us and it allows us to do multi-phase monitoring in a continuous methodology. And then we expanded on that uh, with the beacon to allow you to do so without having to stand there and look at the detector. Well, the other thing is, is with fentanyl, right? Uh, be, being able to identify fentanyl, the device itself will has a classifier. So we, we all talk about 2,000 uh, analogs of fentanyl. If the backbone's there, it will see it. And that's another crazy big deal, going back to us being hazard guys, putting suits on, right, being able to see that, uh, at all those different flavors, if you will. For for those people that are that are not from the hazmat world, but they seem to get put in a position where, holy crap, suddenly I am now leading a hazmat team. Why is the ability to just detect the backbone so important versus detecting every single different type of fentanyl that's out there? It's really about coverage, right? So if you have a a one for one reference of a material um, to its, its alert or its alarm. You have to have a reference for every single permutation of that threat, which is fine for things that are not very synthetic. But with fentanyl, as we know, it's a synthetic opioid. You can just tweak a lot of different parts of it and suddenly you have a different compound. As Doug alluded to, just from patent literature, there's over 2,000 analogs of fentanyl. We have a huge problem with this domestically. And despite the fact that we have, you know, a lot of change in our analogs, a lot of 
different drug supply streams, we've only seen something like 50 to 60 of those analogs on the streets. Uh, and it's very hard to get standards, very hard to get references. So you don't know um, what you're going to have to be challenged with, particularly if you're making it in a lab, you can do whatever you want, right? And so it's really about providing broad spectrum coverage from not only what is current and what is ubiquitous on the street, but what someone can cook up with relative ease and uh, use for weaponization. So you just need the ability to be future-proofed, right? You don't know what they're going to do, so you need something that's agile, something that's that's not in the weeds to still let you know that, hey, this is potentially a fentanyl analog. And if it is something that we have seen and we've developed and we've, we've created reference spectrum for, it'll actually tell you what that analog is as well, as opposed okay. to just that. Do you also have that same fluidity with um, possible chemical warfare agents created in the home? for lack of better words, versus something that's lab or government created. Like those slight variations, will it still be like, oh, you got sarin, you got sarin, even though it's, you know, John's version of sarin? <laughs> uh, it's a little less easy. Uh, most of those most of those traditional chemical warfare agents don't have as quite a fixed a backbone to play with. So you're often talking about a, a fundamentally different material. The, the kind of exception to that is VX. VX does have a little bit more of this sort of synthetic behavior where you have different chains or R groups or functionalities. Uh, the device does provide a broad coverage of VX, whether it's RVX or CVX or some of those variations. So we're a little bit more resistant to that. But in terms of algorithmic predictive detection, that is primarily a fentanyl issue. Um, okay. Even our other synthetic things like synthetic cannabinoids and synthetic cathinones, there's a lot of those out there, but it's tens to hundreds not thousands. So it's gotcha. a little bit easier to play that whack-a-mole game of doing a one-for-one -one spectra with those threats as opposed to fentanyl, where you really need a more algorithmic-based approach to it. You know, I we were talking about this this morning. We, we have our morning meetup and everything like that, and we were talking about how... And I know this is not... Well, maybe it is on your, your radar. Is there any use for AI in these types of things where, you know, almost having the ability of, like, looking through almost like a force multiplier in like um libraries is that a thing yet i'm sure it's a so they have a lot of this sort of functionality in some of the more laboratory grades so we're starting yeah. to see that we're starting to see a lot of predictive fragmentation models for instance of compounds so that you know, you can basically just generate what would be the mass spectrum for something without running it. Um, there's a lot of technology behind that, even kind of predating AI. As with all things, AI expands our capability to do that much more faster. Uh, and so I think there absolutely is a role for that. Um, and I'm just even curious. So, no, I think there's a huge role for that. I'm very, I'm, it's a very exciting time to be in any technology. Right. We're just everything's growing by leaps and bounds. Right. We talked about Doug doing this area monitoring with, again, essentially telegraph wire. Right. Uh, and now we have the beacon, which is um, taking this sort of same concept and we're putting it on like a tactical cellular network or a tactical um, Wi-Fi network. Right. I, I Something was, that we didn't even have uh, when I was even in the military, essentially. And that wasn't that long ago. Yeah. So that um, and that, so, that being able to click into a tactical cellular network. That allows you to basically make your distance almost infinite, right? Like you, you can have your command post or your monitoring station yeah. anywhere you want 
versus the the old school where it's oh it's 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 Bluetooth with a repeater. You can only be a couple hundred yards away. Like you're you can monitor the text from anywhere to anywhere. That's absolutely correct. Yeah, the goal was modularity. As to your point, we don't know what communications package you have. You might have a different communications package than the agency that you're partnered with for the event. And so the goal wasn't to, you know, create a mishmash of it. It was to essentially obviate that problem. So the beacon is, you know, in addition to its battery capabilities, um, it's providing this comms package and, or it's providing the ability for you to integrate your comms comms package into the device, right? So you would just slot your TACnet in, uh, it communicates with uh, a secure web portal instead of your CP. So it doesn't need you know, connectivity to you, it just needs connectivity to the net. Yeah, and so it. in that way, you're, you're, you don't have to worry about line of sight, you're not doing repeater networks, you don't need any of that. As long as it can communicate, uh, it's pulled in through that secure web portal and you can monitor an infinite number of MX908s at an infinite number of locations if you so choose. Uh, via that one session. That's what makes it cool, is the that sharing is cool. of it, right? We can share it with different command posts, whether it be law enforcement, hazmat, or whether it be just the overall view of whoever's out there uh, that we want to share it with. And the other side of the fence is, is also if I show up and I have five beacons and I have five MXs show up, I can throw them in the case and I can I connect them all and work it all the same at the same place. So all of these agencies that come together that maybe didn't have enough money to buy everything, right? Somebody did. They can put them all together without having any problem and mesh them together and use them uh, at that one event. Yeah, that's a super important point. It's it's an accessory, and it's not linked to a unit. So any MX-908 with an arrow module can be put into any beacon. There's no licenses, compatibility. Your agency can show up with your MX-908. You can put it in someone else's beacon. As long as you, you know, are providing that comms package, they're all integrated. No, no syncing, no collaborating. It's just complete modularity. Any unit, That's... any comms package, any air, any beacon. I got you know that was I was going to ask that was going to be my my final question is like okay I get I get my base level and I don't want to say that the wrong way but the base level nine oh eight and then we slap on an arrow and then we throw it into the beacon like what's the mishmash and like even companies it doesn't matter that is. That is something. Uh, listen, anybody that's out there, you're going to conferences, or you 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 want to see this. You got to see this in front of you. You have to go see it because yeah, you, cool. you're not going to believe it. It's almost like no, they did it. Yeah, they did it. And it's and it's a monitor in a box, so you can just pull it out afterwards too. It's not right. you know go forever a weekend. You can use it in the stand in the same response, right? So if it's used in uh. monitoring, it goes off. You can go to that location and pull it out of the box or pull out the MX 908s that you have employed elsewhere that aren't contaminated. And you can use that same tech that you're using to secure it to then respond tactically to the operation. It creates, you know, little forward caches of detectors essentially right, right. that are fully usable for the normal course of a hazmat operation. Mission flexible. Yeah, I it like transitions that. you from one phase to the next very easily. Well, I know there's going to be a million questions about this, and I certainly cannot answer them all. So I'm going to send them to you guys that actually know the answers. Um, how do they find out more information about this? 
Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, reach out to us at 908devices.com. That's a fantastic way. Uh, Or also you can email at info at 908devices.com. Awesome. You guys are the bomb. Thank you for taking some time and and showing us about this stuff. Thanks for having the conversation. Awesome, guys. guys. Thank you.